Today we're in Luke chapter 15, and um, this particular chapter has three parables, and I want us to look at them kind of together. So hear now the word of the Lord, Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them three parables. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And then verse 11, the third parable there was a man who had two sons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It wouldn't be a bad idea if you don't have your Bible to turn to page 874 in your pew Bible and take a look at that because as you may have detected, I read things that weren't there and I didn't read things that was there. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. These three parables go together. The emphasis, of course, is upon the third parable. But all three of them walk together, hand in hand, side by side, teaching that which the Lord wanted us to know. A parable is actually from two words, para, which means beside of. We got our word parallel from that word. And the word bole, which means to throw or to cast. We got our word ballistics or ball from that word. A parabole, a parable, is something that is cast alongside for a purpose. And the casting alongside is to give an illustration what Jesus did here was take three parables and cast them alongside of a particular situation to illustrate what that situation meant. And here's the situation. Jesus had been teaching and preaching and performing miracles and ministering to the multitudes in the midst of his earthly ministry. And he'd been at it long enough that he had some pretty critical observers. They were the scribes and the Pharisees as mentioned there in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees were meticulous about the law of God. They were the most religious people of their day. The word scribe emphasizes that these men were men who spent a lot of time dealing with the letters. They were copyists. They were amanuenses. They did the work of secretarial, clerical copying as well as studying and meticulously examining the scriptures. They thought they pretty well knew the things of God from the Holy Scriptures. 
The Pharisees, the very word means separated ones. These were men who were so uh, fastidious in their living that they just couldn't accommodate any people beneath them morally. They looked down on most people. And they were good moral men. Jesus had a life that was a righteousness that was like the Pharisees, except it was a greater righteousness. He said that your righteousness had to exceed that of the Pharisees. It wasn't that Jesus lowered the standard at all. He just wanted to show the Pharisees didn't live up to the standard. And the word meant separated. Oh, if a repentant sinner came to the Pharisees, they would admit him to the synagogue. But first he had to clean up his own life. He couldn't come as he was. He couldn't come as a sinner. He had to clean up his life. He had to study up. He had to clean up. He had to, to get uh, dressed up. And then if he qualified, he could enter into the ranks and the fellowship of the Pharisees. The Pharisees criticized Jesus because Jesus didn't seem to have that approach at all. Jesus would just be with the people. The multitudes were coming. They were tax collectors. Do you know what a despised group of men that was? In fact, one of Jesus' disciples, Levi, Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was one of these tax collectors. And sinners, big, open sin. Something that would brand you, a prostitute, for example, a thief, an extortionist, a liar, a gossip, a slanderer, someone that defrauded, someone that harmed. These were sinners, flagrant, obvious sinners, despised people. They were coming to listen to Christ. The Bible says the common folk heard him gladly. There was something about Jesus' invitation to come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. There was something about his demeanor that was welcoming, even though he was righteous and holy beyond measure. He did not despise the sinner. He did not despise the person that was obviously not right with God. The unrighteous, the unholy, the unclean. Jesus even healed lepers, cleansed lepers. And these Pharisees and scribes said something about Jesus that was to them the worst thing he could say. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Boy, if I was a gospel preacher, that'd be all I'd need right there. He receives sinners. And that's what these three parables are going to teach us. That he receives sinners. He not only receives sinners, he receives sinners as they are in their sin. He goes and seeks the sinner and when he finds the sinner, he brings the sinner home and he restores the sinner and he gives the sinner complete forgiveness and 
rejoices and he has others join him in his rejoicing and he throws a party and he has a banquet and he brings everybody in and he says, look what I found. It was lost. A sinner, a lost sinner. I found a sinner. And he eats with them. This table. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him. I will have a meal with him. That's what Christ does. There's just one point to the parables. God loves sinners and he wants to see them saved. And when one of them is found, he and all the host of heaven rejoice. Now, I know most of you are very familiar with these parables. Let's just take a good look at them. The first one here talks about a man who had a hundred sheep. He lost one of them. And he left the 90 and 9 in the fold and went into the open country and the hardships and he sought and he found the little lost sheep. And he lays it on his shoulders. Oh, now if that's not efficacious grace, I don't know what is. He didn't take the sheep and beat him and kick him and move him back to the fold. He picked him up and carried him. If that's not the way the Lord brings us back, I don't know what is. He put him on his shoulders and... He took him home rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And this is what Jesus says, I tell you, and he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees now, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's who he came for. If you're not lost this morning, he's not looking for you. But if you're lost in your sins and you're out on the rugged terrain and the treacherous terrain with the coyotes and the wolves and all of the things that might befall you, if your soul is in danger this morning, this is the hour, this is the day, the moment that you must know the shepherd is looking for you. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. You want heaven to rejoice this morning? Let's just have one sinner repent. To turn from his wicked ways, to turn from his living and turn to God, turn to Christ, come and turn for salvation. Then he tells another parable. This is the parable of the lost coin. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligent until she finds it? And when she found it, I like this, she, she does everything she can. She moves the furniture around, she turns on the light, she keeps looking until she finds this one lost Cohen. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, the same group that partied the first time with the lost sheep saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus once again says, I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells a third parable. And this is the parable of the man. There was a man who had two sons. Now the shepherd who lost one out of a hundred sheep, he just lost one percent. That's all. That doesn't sound like worth the trouble to risk your life and leave the 90 and 9 and go to all the trouble to find 1%. That's a write-off. That's not material. So precious, though, is the one. The woman has 10 coins. She loses one. That's 10%. That's still a little iffy. But how valuable is the coin? How important to her and to her budget and to her livelihood is that coin? But here's a man, he has two sons. Now we're not talking about sheep anymore. We're not talking about sheep getting MRIs either. We're talking about men, people, human beings. And a man has two sons, and they both are lost. That's 100% loss. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Both of these boys were lost. They were lost in each in its own way. Two ways to be lost. One is the way of the younger. The younger son said to his father, drop dead. That's what he said. You don't get an inheritance until you die. So he wanted his father dead so he could get his inheritance now. Give me everything that's coming to me. And the father gave him his inheritance. And you know the story quite well. You've learned it since your earliest days in Sunday school. The young man ran off in riotous living and he enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. And I'm here to tell you there's pleasure in sin. It's gratifying. It's thrilling. It is pleasurable. But it's for a season. Sin will last for a season and then there comes a day of judgment a day of reckoning. The testimony of Moses, remember, was he did not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but he rather suffered reproach with the people of God. Well, that's what we have here. We have a son that goes off in riotous living, and his riotous living led to the ruin of his life. He lost it all. He became desperate, hungry, and completely helpless in his condition. And no one would help him. His riotous living led to ruin. His ruin led to repentance. He came to himself. That's what we've got to do. We have to wake up. We have to open our eyes and see our condition and be aware of it and look at it the way God looks at it. That's where confession starts is taking the same view 
of our sin that God takes. Most of us want to justify, ignore, diminish, do something with our sin, hide our sin, rationalize our sin, say that our sin is not sin, call evil good. Can't do that in God's economy. God's ways are everlasting. His ways are holy and just. And sin is sin in the sight of God. God has enumerated those sins time and time again. And this young man saw himself as he truly was. And he didn't leave it there. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to my father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. His riotous living led to ruin, which led him to repentance, which led him to return. And when he returned, listen to what the scripture says. His father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His repentance led to his return. His return led to restoration. To put the robe and the ring, restored him. He wanted only to just have a place where he could sleep and eat in his father's house, among the household servants. And no, no, no. There was a man who had two sons. These are sons, not slaves. These are heirs to the fortune. These are his boys. These are the offspring of his life. He's not going to treat this boy like a servant. He's going to treat him like a son. And so we kill the fattened calf and we have this huge, enormous restoration party. We have a banquet. The Lord receives sinners and he eats with them. And they enjoy the table fellowship and the joy of a party. He said, this my son was lost, but now is found. He was dead and he was alive again. If that's not the story of salvation, if that's not the story of regeneration and redemption in our lives, I don't know what is. We sing it in the song, Amazing Grace. I was lost, but I'm found. I was blind, now I see. And they began to celebrate. A man had two sons. The other son was in the field. When he came in, he saw the party taking place. He saw the banquet. He heard the noise. And he thought to himself, my little brother is home. I can't wait to see him. Where is he? Let's go. Let's jump. No, he didn't. He was angry and he refused to go in. He was angry in his self-righteousness. He knew he was, had done better than this wretched little brother. He knew he had obeyed his father. He had worked hard. He had been an obedient and a good son. He knew what this boy had done. He had seen him squander half of the family inheritance. He saw this little brother and looked upon him with contempt and with anger. 
What right does he have to the fatted calf? What right does he have to the ring and to the robe? What right does he have to heaven's glory? What right does he have to the banquet? And he was angry. And he refused to go in. If I've got a point to the sermon, which I'm not sure I do, <laughs> it's this. The next verse. The father came out and entreated him. This daddy was not going to give up on either boy. He had waited and waited and waited for the return of the younger son. And now when he sees that his older boy is in real spiritual trouble, locked in his self-righteousness, angry and bitter in his outward goodness, he realized the boy's heart was not right. And that's the way a lot of us live our lives. We're not flagrant sinners. We're not prostitutes and bank robbers. We don't defraud, but we have a seething anger in our souls about so many things with each other, with the Lord himself. And this father was not going to give up on this boy either. And the father came out and entreated him. The father came out and started begging and reasoning with the boy. You know, in the first case, the father waited, the boy came home. In the second instance, the father had to be more proactive. He went out. He found the boy. He began to talk to the son and reason with him and reassure him of his love and what he had had. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You have it. The Father has it. He has the inheritance. It's yours. It's yours. What do you need to do? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you, son, older son, obedient son, good son, faithful son, all that I have. Is yours. And he was right. There was only half the inheritance left and it belonged to the other boy. It belonged to the older brother. It was his, his. They were living on his portion of the family wealth now. The other half was gone. But here's a father who loved and entreated his son to come in and enjoy the same banquet that his brother had enjoyed. These scribes and Pharisees I don't know that they ever got around to enjoying the banquet. I don't know if they ever came to the feast. I don't know if they ever heard the invitation to come and dine. The master calls, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes, turned the water into wine, now entreats us all to come and die.